it allows it to be a breakfast and a lunch. It's it's literally multi-purpose, right? Yeah. So true. Most people sell candy. Yeah, I had them after school for snacks and stuff all the time. Yeah, so you can have them at any time. There's no no bad time for a pop-tart. <laughs> exactly. So it was the perfect product. The market potential is just so big. <laughs> it's it's really there. It's like perfect. Welcome to Hacks and Flax, the podcast for March Communications, where we cover PR, marketing, media, and all things communications. I'm Manny Vega. Thanks for tuning back in. And I am joined today again by my colleague, Marina Scari. Hey, Marina. Hey, Manny. How's things? They're great. <laughs> yeah? Are you doing all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm excited for our second uh, podcast in the series. So we're here. <laughs> another, another winner, I think, too. We just finished doing a, an interview with our subject today, uh, Daquan Oliver. Mm-hmm. Um, who's founder and executive director of We Thrive, which is a pretty interesting nonprofit, which we'll get into in a minute here. But um, yeah, pretty good, pretty good second conversation, I would say. Yeah. Are you happy with the way that went? I, I am happy. It was it was really interesting. I think we got to touch on a lot of uh, interesting points. Um, particularly, what stood out to me was uh, how he talked about um, press being a boost for them as a startup, but also the ways in which they're using outreach. Um, technology like email marketing automation um, to really innovate as a social entrepreneurship um, and how that's a trend you're seeing more but it's it's definitely something that's cutting edge and um, kind of helped him grow his business um, so it's just a strategy we see a lot of our clients use obviously but he's kind of repurposing these tools mm. um, so that was that was really interesting and a good insight so just to kind of explain the series a bit we, we did this uh, a few weeks back um, and and once again, we're just kind of shining a spotlight on some 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 tactics, I guess, used by some of these startups. Some kind of their their perspective on you know communications, how you actually grow a business and get the word out there about your business and and seed interest for a bunch of different audiences, not just customers, but it could be you know volunteers if that's if that's what it is, or mentors or whatever, uh, different partners, um, or even fun- funding or funding funders, funding's a big right? one as well, of course, yeah, especially with these social entrepreneurs. Um, and startups in general. Sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, these early stage businesses. Of course. Yeah. So um, so this is an interesting one because, yeah, We Thrive, it is a nonprofit. Um, and, you know, I guess one thing I took away from it is, as you said, uh, there are certain tactics that we probably take for granted, having worked with a lot of software companies and technology companies, things like uh, email marketing, for example. Uh, Daquan mentions that as being something that was kind of foreign for the, for the nonprofit world. It was kind of natural for him to do, um, having picked things up along the way. But it was definitely uh, a big uh, driver of efficiency for his business, mm-hmm. allowed them to scale in the way they have in just a few, what, three or four years. Um, so that is interesting. And then, yeah, the press strategy, as you mentioned, you know, when is a good time to get covered? Um, he has some interesting thoughts on that in this this episode. It's like, you know, do you need to figure out your story first? And, and um, you know, do you want to go quiet for a little bit? How does that how does that work? So, um, yeah, I thought it was I thought, I thought some good insights here for our listeners. Um, anything else you want to add before we dive in? Uh, I don't think so. I'm excited to get into it. All right. Let's get into it with Daquan Oliver, uh, founder and executive director of We Thrive. Our guest on the show today is Daquan Oliver. Uh, he is founder and executive director of We Thrive. It's a nonprofit that uh, is actually a collective of undergrads that mentors and teaches life skills through entrepreneurship, 
uh, to youth in under-resourced communities. I've got that almost memorized now from your website. So uh, welcome to the show, <laughs> Good Daquan. to know. Good to know. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? Doing really good. Today's a good day. Um, I had Duncan earlier in the day, you know, so oh, I got good. the coffee going. Yeah. yeah. Same, same. Um, you, I guess you've been pretty busy pretty recently, right? You've been traveling a lot for uh, uh, for the business? Yeah, so we've been traveling a lot. Um, we've got a lot going on. Um, just a lot of things kicking off in the past few months um, are enabling us to get a new platform for what we're doing. Um, we're finally at the point where we're able to start showing traction and progress on what we've done. So for a lot of reasons, we have a lot going on, a lot of traveling, which uh, is good for productivity reasons of actually getting the meetings done, but um, not as much for getting work done because yeah. I'm on a plane. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's I actually just got back from some work travel myself, and yeah, you spend so much time actually on a plane or not near the internet or whatever, or you don't have a connection. Sometimes. Coming back from jet lag, yeah, exactly. all those things. Yeah, yeah, trying to catch up on sleep. Um, how long is, uh, has We Thrive been, been going now? So it's always complicated just because I founded it during college. Um, so I founded it during my sophomore year where technically it wasn't anything, but this is just this program we put together and this is what we do. And then we realized, oh, this has, you know, val- validated impact that no other program executes, et cetera. And then once I graduated is when I made it a full time thing. Thanks to a lot of press and stuff that we're getting actually made it possible to get the funding to make it full time which is super hard for nonprofits specifically. So yeah. definitely a blessing. Yeah, that's actually a bit uh, about what we're going to talk about today. But, um, you know, I gave a little bit of the boilerplate at the start. But why don't you tell the folks who, who aren't familiar kind of what We Thrive is all about, you know, what the company is, um, what's your vision? Yeah, so um, just taking that from the ground up, We Thrive, we're, an undergrad, we're a program where undergraduates lead middle school students and high school students through the creation of their own business venture. Most importantly, mentoring them and teaching them life skills along the way. Um, So all of our youth participants actually create their very own companies, doing things like um, designating their target markets, their brand positioning, even communicating with their suppliers via phone call and email in order to bring their product or service into the market. And, you know, at a nutshell, at 30K feet, that's what We Thrive is. As we continue moving forward and the core of our mission um, because we do serve under-resourced students, is really all about closing that achievement gap and opportunity gap that exists between students of lower-income households and higher-income households. Um, and so every, a lot of things that we do are all about the opportunities, the resources, and education that allow our students to close that gap, um, really building that core self-efficiency and self-agency to do so. And this is, um, I mean, we're talking about pretty legitimate ventures, right, that these kids are starting up. Right. Absolutely. What's the, what's the general growth path for a lot of their businesses that they're developing? Um, yeah. So love that question just because it, it always allows us to highlight that it's even deeper than business. Right. So although our students so far have earned um, upwards of twelve hundred dollars on revenues, median age is around 13 and 14. We do serve seventh through 10th grade population. Much more important is the the skills that they're learning. Right. Is the mentor. So the, the, the five main things that we're tracking are um Do they leave with a mentor? Just as importantly, do they leave with a support system? No student creates a company in our program alone just because that would go against um, the very act of looking to create support systems. Um, And then self-agency, self-esteem, and then perseverance, all things of which we've just worked with previous impact firms to designate and understand why that's important. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll go into the science of which because that could be a little boring. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But 
our students are running legitimate companies, making the sales all by themselves. Yeah. And but most importantly, taking away those key takeaway traits because, um, as you know and we know, most entrepreneurs can fail multiple times um, throughout their their journeys. And so, much more importantly, we're making sure that our students take away the skills. My new favorite comparison is like, um, imagine if we were like uh, a sports program where we had, for example, basketball players. You wouldn't necessarily expect us to say, yeah, all of our students, they're going to leave and go to the NBA. Um, Neither would those students all want to go to the NBA. But we would still all understand the importance of exercise and the basics of the drills that they're understanding and taking away, which is very much the model of We Thrive. Right. So it's really that experience that they're going through. Yeah. You know, as you say, establishing... Uh, connections to to mentors, especially getting some some support from that, and developing exactly. support systems. So that's um, that's good stuff. Where does that come from? I mean, at what point did you identify like this is a big gap uh, in these communities? Um, can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, certainly. So I think my identification of that opportunity um, was always ingrained with me, just growing up within a single mother, low income household. I was able to see just firsthand that. Um, despite how hard my mother worked, there were still things working against us. Mm-hmm. And um, at a certain age, it was clear. I was like, you know what? <laughs> there's, there's clearly not much she can do in the situation. There's a lot of things designed in the society itself that were holding uh, not only just my mother, but even myself back. You know, I remember times in, in high school where, you know, I had been on the honor roll since seventh grade, which in our school system um, in New York was when the honor roll was introduced, at least. And um, I remember getting an A on one of my... Um, first test with an English and a teacher was surprised and just that in and of itself that dynamic discourages students right um I was unique in that I had an amazing mother so like you know I wasn't gonna bring home not an A um and it'd be okay um but just seeing a lot of things from my point of view and then even seeing the ways that my mother had to struggle with it herself uh, made that point clear. As I continued growing, I also saw the importance of mentorship through my own lens as well. I had some amazing near-peer mentors specifically. So not only do we employ mentorship, but we actually prioritize a near-peer role model, someone who's close enough in age to relate to, but then also further enough that you can ask for advice, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the essential role of our college student versus, for example, the local professional that works at the local corporation, still an important mentorship is still important, but we do prioritize that near peer mentor. So, so obviously the students that you're looking for people kind of like from these under resourced communities don't have the yeah. same sort of advantages. Maybe you've experienced, as you say, some of this like frustration that you probably felt in that, in that, in your personal situation, yep. um, from the mentor perspective, where do you find those mentors? Yeah. So we do very intentional recruiting for our college student mentors. So one of our easy, one of the easiest examples is, um, in LA where, Many of our schools are largely Hispanic Latinx populations. We will actually work with USC and UCLA's Hispanics and Business Association to recruit mentors. Um, so in that way, we aim and try to target to the best of our ability the types of mentors that our students can look up to and bond. Um, now, just because they are the same ethnicity doesn't always mean that there's an effective bond either. Um, class, upbringing, all those things also come into place. Um, but we do do a lot of uh, a long range of just uh, intentional recruitment on a college campus of the students that um, can relate to our own students. Mm. So walk me through a little bit of the actual like founding of the company. I mean, you've yeah. you mentioned you've sort of identified this problem just from your own upbringing and, and from your own personal story. But then at what point do you decide it's time to do something about this and, and create a business? Yeah. So um, this had been in my mind since I was 14. Right. Just even coming back to your question of like, how did I identify the opportunity, et cetera? That moment when I described of like finally coming to the epiphany that like, oh, this is this is just a design here happening that 
we unfortunately were were being um, subjected to. Now, because I had been in my mind since I was 14, a number of ideas had passed in my mind of, you know, what what could it be that would um, assist me and my peers to to be successful in our numerous and variety of different goals. And finally, I took action in uh, my freshman and sophomore year at Babson College. And it was during that time that um, I noticed a few things. One, on Babson, there was an amazing entrepreneurial spirit going on. Um, and two, students were leaving, like making their first million, et cetera. And so that's when I, that's when I realized, oh, you know what? <laughs> like, if they can do that and they started um, out at Babson at the same platform with the same resources, et cetera, at this point, I'm able to um, more or less escape those designs I had um, described a moment ago and now use this platform to do this for my community. And I had not known what this was yet, but um, it was clear that what we beginning, what we begun to work on with WeThrive could be it. And so really it started there and then it allowed me three or four years to continue to do so. Within working with other mentors on campus, we were fortunate enough to gain recognition by um, Entrepreneur Magazine entering my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, they named me as one of the top five college entrepreneurs at the time. And then uh, Hillary Clinton through Clinton Global Initiative University um, had given us a shout out for our work going on in Boston, which then caught the Clinton Foundation's eye to name me as one of the top five black student leaders to watch in 2014. And so all that conveniently happened during my senior year as I was exiting mm-hmm. college and allow me to raise up just enough to continue doing that full time. And you know that, that allowed me to cascade into a lot of other funding opportunities to, to really grow the organization. I think you touched on it a little bit, but at Babson, were you able to find some mentoring um, resources, that sort of thing to help you get going? Because you know, you're walking in the situation, you mentioned everyone's kind of on the same platform, everyone has access to the same information, but what helped you in those early stages when you, you know, had you started a business before? I mean, probably, no. Like so yeah. um, I had always been entrepreneurial, whether it was like age seven, like um, when I was selling Pop-Tarts. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was, that was high school. When I was age seven, my mom told me I couldn't have a toy. Yeah. Grabbed a stack of newspapers, penny savers, sold them to anyone I saw. They bought it for me and I bought my toy. Now, granted, penny savers are free. So, you know, they might have only bought it for me because I was like this cute little kid <laughs> trying to sell newspapers, yeah. Yeah. you know, but that was a lesson learned that I still vividly remember. Like, oh, you know, whatever that thing is, like, obviously, I don't know it's called entrepreneurship. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing that. I was going to do that. High school, as I was going to say a moment ago, selling Pop-Tarts, earning around $250 a week, $1,000 a month. And that was that allowed me to buy everything, right? So selling it was no, Pop-Tarts? Pop-Tarts. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if the Pop-Tarts people are going to be happy to know that you're reselling that stuff. Commission, Honestly, hopefully they can use that as free promotion, yeah. you know? It's a, it's a, yeah, and yeah. I can get a commission again on these Pop-Tarts. A success story came yeah. out of it. So. Yeah. Um, quick excerpt on Pop-Tarts. If any high school students or middle school students listen to this, um, the amazing snack because... It allows it to be a breakfast and a lunch. It's it's literally multi-purpose, right? Yeah. So true. Most a, people sell candy. Yeah, I had them after school for snacks and stuff all the time. Yeah, so you can have them at any time. There's no no bad time for a pop time. <laughs> exactly. So it was the perfect product. The market potential is just so big. <laughs> it's it's really there. It's like perfect. Yeah. Um, and so throughout all those experiences, I, I had already had an entrepreneurial experience. Yeah. Um, I do think my time at Babson really allowed me to hone it. And you know, it's funny. One of the best resources I felt at Babson was really just the other students that are attracted and attend Babson. Yeah. Um, that ability just to build a support system with um, with individuals who can challenge you, mm-hmm. individuals who are better at you than different things, and more or less in a different in, in the same path, right? Of of entrepreneurship, of innovation, of business um, was a really unique incubator. And then with within um, 
within the context of mentorship, I didn't really find necessarily that I had any mentoring outlets at Babson itself, which to be honest, actually taught me um, one of the best things about mentorship, which is that um, I didn't need neither does anyone need a formal mentor program mm. to gain the benefits of mentorship. Um, what I began to learn was that there was a, a large set of people that knew a ton about one specific thing. And so what I would do is uh, anytime I was struggling with that thing, whether whether it had been anything with specific business advice to personal advice, um, very much similar to a mentor, depending on the mentor, and I went to that specific person to gain their advice or people in some cases, on those different things. And so I would say that most people that are my mentors today don't even know they're my mentors, <laughs> but they probably think I'm just going to them for this one specific thing. And that was that was my experience within, uh, let's say, mentoring resources at Babson. Yeah, but that's yeah. good that you had that kind of community around you and those people who you could go to uh, who and can answer those different questions for you. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about kind of how the, the program works at We Thrive. What's the experience like for uh, a young person who's actually involved and uh, how you connect them with mentors that sort of thing so within within a we thrive program we first connect with schools um our schools then source us the um participants involved in the program um we don't target necessarily um high performing or academically disengaged but more so um target to gain a balance of both we find that there's a lot of strength in bridging that community itself and more importantly, as I mentioned earlier, building a support system within that itself. Now, once we have the students, we then pair them up with college students that we have already recruited and screened. So um, to be a, a We Thrive mentor, um, you do go through a screening process just to make sure that we understand a lot of things. Don't want to speak too much on that because then one day maybe someone can game the, the sure, screen. Sure. Um, <laughs> but um, after you pass that process, we also train you into the classroom. And then you are provided with um, the We Thrive curriculum to implement. So we have a very specific curriculum to walk our students from ideation all the way up into launch and growth. And then our students transition into actually managing their company. So um, again, all important things just to make sure our students are learning things like critical thinking, collaboration, um, hard work, perseverance, etc. Um, our students do all this through action, right? So one of the things that we're big on and we thrive is not just the ability to, to gain a mentor and be provided a mentor, but to know how to find and build mental relationships yourself, mm -hmm. um, which is more or less a skill that all of us have to figure out on our own. N rarely will you find a educational entity, a school that teaches you how to do so, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps at the higher level in college, um, but definitely not when we're in middle school, high school, which are crucial skills to be able to succeed in college mm -hmm. and career, et cetera. Um, so our students actually do that using local professionals and reaching out to local professionals based on what they personally want to learn and know and have the ideal mentor with regard to their companies. So. That, that in a nutshell, without diving into necessarily the hardcore specifics, yeah. is what's going on on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And our program does run um, once a week um, each semester. So um, let's talk a little bit to you about how, when you mentioned that press um, that you got in your senior year was really a launch and like a turning point for you. Um, how did that affect um, the markets that you're speaking to? Did you hear that? Um, schools or college students or even the, um, the funding that you were going after. Um, what was the feedback that you heard around that? Um, I think it was less so feedback as it was interest. It, it allowed us to tell a better story. It allowed us to gain additional introductions. CGIU, which is Clinton Global Initiative University, which is 
an excellent resource for any college student or grad student for that matter um, who's in any kind of education system to use that's interested in social innovation. Um, amazing network, amazing resources provided to individuals interested in social innovation and entrepreneurship um, and want to make a commitment. So a commitment is any kind of social change you want to make in the community. We Thrive was, our, was my commitment. That said, for, for us, it was that bond with CGIU, um, in some cases, introductions. The greatest resource was other individuals and that own network that were able to introduce me. Through that press, we were then able to um, approach more individuals um, or, or reapproach individuals that maybe had said no before, but now could say yes. Um, so it was less so direct feedback and more so the feedback of heightened interest mm -hmm. that allowed us to make um, XYZ happen. Um, whether I be fundraising, whether I be new partners, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that was a big, a big, uh, as Marina said, a turning point early on then. Yeah. Um, how did you keep that traction going? I mean, was there more media coming down the pipe or was it, did you have to get kind of some, some real communication strategy going after a little bit or, you know, how were, what were those early days like in terms of getting people to know about We Thriving and be interested in it? Yeah. So, um, so that I would say actually in context of, um, the following almost three years now, was really more so less of a turning point. Uh, it was a turning point at the time or scene mm. um, and more of a boost. Yeah. Um, mm. Really what the turning point was, um, was when we received our Echoing Green Fellowship. Um, that provided us validation in a lot of ways, um, which I'll talk on in a second. But in, in, in terms of reaching out with regard to We Thrive, we did blanket outreach to our target cities, um, which were in New York City, Boston, LA, and Oakland. Um, the cities that we're in right now, um, as well, and continue to dive so deeper those into. Cities from the start, um, it was those cities targeted. We were not in all those cities from the start, um, but we were targeted enough so that in the following year we were able to kick off programs. You knew you wanted to be there, then. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And with regard to that, CGIU was another amazing network because um, it already had. Um, college students that were interested in social entrepreneurship. And so it was an easy fit just to reach out to the entire um, network of individuals that I had personally connected with. Um, you can't necessarily blast the network who made it possible for a lot of our initial chapters. Um, and then moving into Echo and Green, that's the real turning point. Mm -hmm. That is what taught us how to communicate better. Um, that is what taught us the ins and outs of, entrepreneurship, of social entrepreneurship, running nonprofits. For most people, when you graduate college, you don't know how to do things like fundraise yet. You know, approach right. large foundations, a high network of donors. And without a doubt, they provided the perfect training. And I could talk more about Echo and Green if, if, uh, if there's any relevance there, but that's just like a well, quick snippet. I think that's, yeah, it'd be really interesting to know. I mean, yeah. you know, for anyone who's listening, what's the, um, was that like an application process or how does that work exactly? So Echo and Green is pretty extensive. Um, they are an early stage funder of social impact, social entrepreneurs, um, and they have funded organizations like um, Teach for America, City Year, okay. um, and a few Generation Citizen, um, all at their more or less inception, always early stage. The venture has to be early stage, not necessarily the person has to be um, early stage, and it's a global fellowship. So within that context, they're, almost like a VC yeah. in a lot of ways. And the application process was very strenuous. <laughs> um, yeah, very, very difficult, but um, the things that you might expect. So written application, had a pitch mm. and um, via video and then in person with, a, with, a, with an interview panel, which is very much like any funder conversation, um, except way more intense. 
just because of what's at stake, et cetera. They, they do offer um, $80,000, $40,000 per year, take care of health insurance, uh, most importantly, connections to the mo- pretty much the most relevant individuals in the social sector. Um, but also for us, which is much more relevant, is the expertise and training to do well within the social sector, which is really what they excel at. And so that's Echoing Green. Highly recommend any individual that's contemplating social innovation, social entrepreneurship to enter that. If nothing else, I think you get some amazing feedback, not only doing the app itself, um, but then perhaps getting the feedback afterwards. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's a really good, um, especially if you said, you said they, they focus on early stage uh, companies, right? Yep. So, um, and, and when you're at that level, as you said, you probably don't know much about funding. You probably don't know much about just even growing a business at all. So that, right. you know, uh, support from someone who, in a group of people who really know and, and know that space well too, right? Because it's social, it's social entrepreneurship, right? It's not like yes. it's just general VC funding or something like that. It's someone who really knows that space. Exactly. Hyper relevant as well, which um, I, I find in most general entrepreneurship circles, um, this is for the most part a neglect towards social entrepreneurship, um, a lack of resources, a lack of training. So that's hyper relevant even more so today and was definitely, definitely the inflection point for We Thrive without mm-hmm. a doubt. How challenging is it to kind of grow in in multiple cities too? Um, I mean, because you mentioned you had these these different markets in mind, Oakland and LA and New York and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, do you have to establish new connections in each one, or like what what's that outreach like? I'm like uh, known amongst friends or even funder even funders um, to be like efficiency obsessed. Sure. So um, for us, it actually wasn't too difficult because of the way we approached it. Um, so just some quick resources for anyone listening. Common ones include things like Upwork virtual assistants. I used um, a few virtual assistants to do some intense digging um, amongst Title I schools in all four cities, right? So we have reached out to every single Title I school um, within those four cities. Um, now, another resource for anyone listening is um email marketing automation tools. Um, typically, that's just used for like sales organizations, mm. uh, mostly tech companies, et cetera. Yeah. You probably won't find a, a nonprofit using email marketing automation just because of the way it's pitched um, and typically used, which is typically for sales. Um, what we repurpose it as, not that I think all, not that I think they necessarily want us to be using it in this way, <laughs> um, but is outreach and it's amazing because um you're more or less running a drip campaign but it's a little more targeted than a drip campaign like like a mailchimp right it allows you to set a little more in-depth triggers based on if they read it etc and allows you to get that data do other things with it repurpose it those are the kind of things that allowed us to scale and now it creates a process where um and then so not only do we do that but then within, within the email itself we also embed um a calendly link as well so we say hey Marina, we're reaching out to you for XYZ, um, middle school, this is our program, et cetera. If you would like to speak with us, here's a link, or feel free to suggest a few times. Now we're at the point where new schools, we're not even speaking to them or connecting with them until they have scheduled something on our calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, were, we didn't know how it would work at first, but it worked out perfectly well, um, such that uh, schools are just able to say, yes, I'm interested, find a time on the calendar, makes everything on our organization side so much more efficient, so much more lean. There, in some organizations, there are individuals who do that process, reaching yeah. out, following up. Um, definitely no need to. And, and just just in case that wasn't clear, that that last resource was uh, Calendly, which is a regular scheduling tool. Yeah. Um, but any other tool would work. And um, that's how we scaled. And then in terms of managing it all, the management of it is is also 
highly dependent upon an effective system. So what we almost never talk about is that we have all this running within tech as well. So our tech allows us to keep us together. Um, we, one, have Slack running, a communication tool. That's what all of our college students are on. So any little or big thing, they're reaching out directly to our team for um, and vice versa. Now, um, that allows them to upload pictures, et cetera, et cetera. We also have our own internal tool as well. That's a pro, that's a specifically program management tool for WeThrive. It allows us to track things like lesson reports, which by the lesson starts to add up to a lot of aggregate data. Um, sample lesson report might be um, ranking one to five of, of today's lesson, general feedback and observations, and what is one thing that another mentor preparing to do this lesson would need to know in order to, to crush the lesson. Now we're able to get aggregate data on what are our best lessons, um, where do we need to improve, um, but also then we have something called lesson prep, which not only includes the lesson plan, which they've already been trained on, but then here's what other mentors have said helps to run this lesson. With that, because of the different school schedules, some programs start a month after each other and they're already getting a better program, right? We're, mm. we're able to iterate that quickly on the curriculum itself um, and on the rest lesson preps itself. Um, so that is essential for, personally, I think for any organization to scale is to have like a tight, tight grip on quality assurance of whatever you're selling, whether that's a product or a service. And much is the same for us. That's, that's, how, we've been, that's how we've been doing it so far. And we have a few different things that we'll track KPI-wise to see how effective that is. It, sometimes things we recognize from the KPIs, oh, you know what, that site is now on a good track. Mm. But just that ability to see that um, is exactly what we what we um, invested in and find hyper-relevant. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a nonprofit, but pretty much what you were just describing, these are all really common things for like software companies, like you said. Yeah. So I think of like, uh, I mean, this, this kind of lesson plan, developing based on feedback, and then you're able to change it the very next month. You know, that just speaks to like agile development. You hear a lot of software Without a doubt. Right? Yeah. So I don't <laughs> right. know if that's where you got it from, but like that's the exact, that's the exact uh, premise, really. I think more I think more or less. I do a lot of research just to see what can improve the program. Yeah. Um, and so we pull a lot of things just from tech companies. Yeah. Um, it's it's amazing to see that the there's not more social sector companies that do that. But that's that's something that we're that we're looking to solve within the industry itself. We do we are larger collaborative with a lot of other organizations, um, especially within our concentric circles. Mm. So without a doubt, I think um, that there's real big room there to take advantage of that stuff. But yeah, you're right. Completely a lot of stuff that we just steal from tech companies and say, yeah, you know what? It's pretty cool. Yeah, we should take that. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's interesting. So I mean, you are talking to other nonprofits then about getting them because I would assume most aren't probably not using a thing like a Mailchimp or Constant Cut or you know whatever yep. email mod- email mod- automation. Um, although you know we are a tech. PR uh, firm, so most of our clients are using stuff like that. So is that like right. is that starting to percolate a little bit in nonprofit, or they, there's still a lot of nonprofits who are behind the ball a little bit on that stuff? Yeah, you're kind of like sh- sh- giving me like. A, <laughs> a face um, I can't speak on all nonprofits. Sure. Yeah. Um, however, I will say that um, undoubtedly I see a lot of inefficiency yeah. um, with things that really could just be quickly automated. To be honest, um, I think from what I've seen personally is. A lot of nonprofits are really big, you know, and so they're at a point where what if they did streamline that one thing? Yeah. Well, now they have to get rid of a person or a team. And um, I can only speculate, right? I don't actually know what these nonprofits do in leadership, but undoubtedly, my opinion opinion um, <laughs> would be that uh, there's not enough innovation um, personally when I look at uh Nonprofits. I won't say social sector because there are a lot of social enterprises as well. Things like Tom's, for example, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but nonprofits, definitely. Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, 
So, okay, so these are good good tips for kind of growing the business early on. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, Marina mentioned earlier, some of that earlier press uh, was important to kind of try and get you guys a boost. Um, how's that going now? How's that developing, especially in these local markets? Uh, do you feel like um, you're getting more attention externally and from kind of your target audiences, things like students and mentors and stuff? Yes, definitely. I will say that for a while we avoided press because um, it, was, it was helpful to get started. Um, but then it was like, all right, before we just start like having articles out like every month, right. um, which is what it was for a while, we were like, let's just make sure we have something tight and concrete. Yeah. And then let's let's go promote that. Yeah. And, you know, in my personal opinion, we could, we could still do that even even tighter. I think part of that conflict is that when, when you do look at our program compared to a lot of other nonprofits, we are a little more innovative. I think that's more so a telltale sign of just like um, that uh, – not to not to bash the older generation, but that um, a millennial younger individual is running it. I think these things are going to be a lot more commonplace and like there's new generations nonprofits without a doubt. I can already see that. In fact, so I think for a while we were hiding. Um, we just recently made Forbes 30 and 30, um, and so that's definitely a good boost. That if you're going to get press, you got to make the most of it. Yeah. And so now we're at the point where um, we just do communication channels a little bit. Things like this are nice because it allows us to dive into some of the, the innovative aspects of what we're doing as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, while also sharing within our mission of really part. It's, it's funny because part of what our mission almost became to be just as a team is also just to help other nonprofits. Mm-hmm you know, what ways make sense because we also receive help from other nonprofits, right? So just to play a part in that community. And so that's that's kind of our, our strategy there is uh, for the most part, we we try to, we're even laying relatively low right now just, just so that we can make sure that the things that we're working on are executed effectively. And then we could tell that story um, rather than constantly having things coming out. And it's like, yeah, it's a new article and this is a cool brand name publishing it, but nothing new. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and things changed from last right. month or whatever, so that story's old anyway. So yeah, 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 yeah and it's like, like, oh, that innov- it could be, it could be something like, oh, that innovative thing that we thought they were going to do last month. They're not doing it. Anymore. They're not doing it anyway, <laughs> right? Exactly. And like, we are a startup, so that happens. Right. Yeah, totally. We That's pretty to that. common, I think, <laughs> yeah. across startups. Um, you know, just wanting to make sure that your message is as airtight as possible, I think, is is smart. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, that's fair. But okay, so it sounds like there's a lot of excitement, a lot of good things happening then. Yeah, um, a lot of internal, oh yeah, a lot, a lot of excitement around, um, mostly I love our funders. Like, we have some pretty amazing funders um, who are, like, just part of the support system. But yeah, a lot of excitement. I mean, we talked a little bit about that support system. So things like the uh, the fellowship program, things like um, this just nonprofit community uh, that, that you're surrounded with. Um, I wanted to make sure we did touch on things like um, uh, different startup accelerators and incubators and different programs yeah. like that that you've been able to take advantage of. Uh, we know of Mass Challenge here locally, but... You know, could you speak a little bit about that and maybe some other programs that have been helpful for you guys in the early stages here? Yeah. So just to rattle off a quick number of programs that I would recommend. So you've already mentioned Echo and Green. We've already talked about Mass Challenge as well. So we went through Mass Challenge um, from June through August. Um, great experience. Other resources to take advantage of um, include um, Clinton Global Initiative University. I already mentioned that, but definitely want to emphasize that uh, for anyone else, an undergrad, graduate student, MBA, et cetera, any kind of university-affiliated individual looking at social innovation or social entrepreneurship, highly effective resource, highly effective resource, highly effective platform. Other things I would suggest are things like Tug, also based here in Boston. That team is just amazing for a lot of reasons. They have, they have amazing energy. They're definitely part of that, um, what I mentioned a moment ago, that excitement. Um, specifically, Elizabeth Dobbs Square, I think only every time, that's a portfolio manager at Tug. Um, I think every time I talk to her and share updates, she's hyper excited as well. So that's always good. 
other funny resources. I don't know if anyone's in Los Angeles. Oh, to be honest, Social Venture Partners is in Los Angeles, but also in Boston. That's an amazing resource within the social sector. Really positions itself as an amazing hub um, like no other. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, its whole thing is kind of like um, this notion of you going through this process as an entrepreneur and needing resources, needing help, needing support, and they're the ones who have your back. And that's their kind of positioning within, let's say, like the funder category. And I'll say that, that, that that's their positioning from my perspective. Mm. And I think that's highly unique and highly necessary. Those are just some things that I think are some, have been some of the most effective. Um, there are plenty of other partners, though, that extend outside of funding resources. So, for example, um, one of our newest but uh, most effective partners lately has been Citizen Schools. Citizen Schools runs a program with middle school students where they take over half of the day um, and will bring in what's called a citizen teacher. And it might be an individual like any of the three of us who have something to teach a student. Um, It might be personal finance, financial literacy. It might even be sports or science. Mm. Um, We um, input our program through our college students in our program the regular way. And so they're also, they also became a crucial part of that support system as well. Um, Their team is amazing. They're super committed to the mission as well, which is always amazing. It's like, obviously, I think any nonprofit is committed to the mission, um, but but I think they're really one of the 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 teams that really go above and beyond um and that's always refreshing and and amazing to work with so there's just a few things uh, i'll just talk about and talk about briefly but um i think those resources stick out to me the most and really i would say that take advantage of any resource that comes up yeah, you know like sure. if there's a if there's a deadline you know we're applying to it and the same thing may go for even marketing right um specifically for any college students or something like that um i think an overlooked resource for any college entrepreneur is your marketing department. If you're a college entrepreneur, you, sh- you should make sure you should, if you have to walk in there and introduce yourself, they should know who you are and what you're working on because I can almost guarantee that um, they'll, they'll have a story that comes up. Um, it could either be specific on entrepreneurship or something that cross sex with what you're doing specifically. And they should, they should be talking about you because it helps them as a school to, to publish you, but also helps you a little bit with progress. Um, so those are, that's a resource I think that, uh, was highly effective for me also, um, at, at Babson is that, uh, I knew the marketing department still speak with them today. Um, and they're part of that support system, right? <laughs> but they'll, they'll send me congratulations emails when I make fours before I even get the chance to email them. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely something effective about that that's a good that's a good point i mean i assume for most colleges they're going to want to promote those success stories and talk about how you know someone who's an alumni or a current student or whatever is doing a lot of successful things so right yeah and then for a lot of students you might not think of that um but okay i mean so this is good so so maybe just to wind down a little bit here i mean obviously you as part of your program are sort of developing some of these skills uh in 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 younger people um what are some pieces of advice you might give to someone who's uh, not just looking to start a business, but this is a communications podcast, like getting noticed, getting the word out there. I mean, this, you know, sounds like talking to the college marketing department is one good piece of advice there. If you're in right. college, what are some other pieces of advice that you could give? A few, a few quick things that I'll emphasize in terms of, um, specifically getting the word out there. I think larger depends on who your target market is. So I used to also run a college student, um, ambassador company as well. And for us getting the word out there meant, um, finding other college students to be our first brand ambassadors, get the word out there mm-hmm. about um, the brand ambassador opportunities. For us right now, what that looks like is um, directly partnering with charter school networks, networks like Citizen Schools that already have um, the schools that we would partner with and look to work with. I would say that for us, even though press has been amazing, 
right? Um, the most effective channels have been partnerships mm. and getting the word out there um, personally. And, and it's the longstanding ones that matter the most. And that, that will depend, depending on what company or even product or service you do, right? I'm speaking off of a service that we target schools, right? So perhaps partnerships might not be the right answer for someone, um, but I will say that for us, partnerships have been the most effective way of getting the word out there um, in terms of what brings in results. Mm. Um, and for us, results is new schools, more students served, um, and sites running. All right, great. So what's, I mean, what's coming up here for We Thrive? What are the, your biggest priorities in the next few months here? Yeah, so um, we are putting a big prioritization on hiring, really focus on building a team. Um, it's clear that we've had um, a lot of traction and, and proven a lot of things that we set out to prove. But most importantly right now, we're now looking to cement that, right? It's like we've we've gone from, if you could visually imagine, like hands in the air right now, from a certain point in the air and then moving up. And then now to make sure that's sustainable and that's concrete, we need to make sure the team is in place to hold that. Yeah. Um, we are highly effective at managing virtual assistants. And, but that's effective up to a point. For us, that point was proving that X works, and this is something we want to truly adopt before bringing on X people to, to manage and lead that initiative. And so we're there. Another part is making sure that um, we're going to be evolving our technology um, in ways I won't speak on to in depth, um, but in, in ways that we're excited about. And the last part is just making sure that um, the cities that we're in, that we're digging deeper in. So you also see some expansion as well um, in 2017 within our four cities primarily that there are, that we're already in, which again are Boston, LA, New York City, and Oakland. Um, and in ways that our college students you'll actually see take a deeper um, initiative within the cities that we serve as well, um, especially a city like Boston where college students are so abundant. But even to make our point clearer too of why we focus on college students, highly effective resource for social change, not given enough outlets to make that social change, right? Normally given things like mentor and, and tutoring, which are also highly important and relevant, but um, other outlets do need to exist. So there are other programs similar to We Thrive, like Generation Citizen, which is pretty much, pretty much same model, but for civics education. And then Jumpstart, pretty much same model, except for literacy, but targeted towards um, pre-K. Mm. Those are just a full handful of outlets, right? And so even in a city like Boston, you'll notice, you know, our, our college students are really only visible when they themselves are doing something highly impressive, whether it be entrepreneurship, et cetera. But I think you'll see in the coming months as well throughout 2017, um, our students take that additional initiative as well, which is highly important. So, um, and also outlets for local professionals, for anyone interested as well. Um, that's something that will be coming in 2017 is what does that look like? We're highly engaged in the aspect of community. Which is, which is why we're called We Thrive, not necessarily Thrive or I. Mm. Um, and there's a definitely interesting story I could tell you about why we named We Thrive, but um, those are some things that you'll see coming for us in 2017. And I won't talk about things beyond that. We have a plan, but you know how startups are, so. Yeah, well, you <laughs> can only plan it so far ahead. Yeah, don't ask me for a three-year plan. Yeah. <laughs> What's the story behind the name? Um, so the story behind the name is that um, the notion of Thrive, Right. And uh, the question is, what, what does thriving mean? What does it take to thrive? Um, and long story short, what we've concluded it takes to thrive is a support system. Right. And so when you look at an individual and you say, oh, man, he's thriving. What we say is 
by transfer the property, there's another and there's a group of individuals who are thriving um, alongside Manny um, that he's working alongside to achieve his goals and visions, and vice versa for those other individuals within that support system, which is why we're called We Thrive. But um, if you look at our logo, um, the We is hidden within Thrive just because we find it redundant to actually spell that out um, and emphasize that, right? And so um, that's how we look at Thrive: is that if there's an individual thriving, it's always a We. Yeah, it's part of the community. Right, without a doubt. Yeah, that's I good. Love that. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. That's a good. Uh, that's a good thing to finish on. So, um, if people want to learn more about We Thrive or get involved in some way or just contact you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Best way to do that, I would say, go through the either website email and join our newsletter. <laughs> Definitely, we need yeah, our yeah, newsletter. Yeah. Um, and then contacting the org directly, email that info at teamwethrive.org. We're highly responsive, so um, we'll we'll definitely see that. Cool. And it's wethrive.org, right? Teamwethrive.org. Teamwethrive.org. Yes, okay. thank you. Teamwethrive.org. We got it. Um, all right, well, I appreciate being on the show today. Thank Thanks you for so having me. Appreciate it. It was fun. It was it a great was time. great. Thanks. Thanks, Saquon. All right, that was our conversation with Daquan Oliver. He is founder and executive director of We Thrive. You can find out more about his organization at teamwethrive.org. Thanks again to all of you for listening. Hacks and Flax is a production of March Communications. We are a tech PR agency, and you can find out more about us uh, and our podcast at our website. It's marchcoms.com. Uh, you can find archived episodes of Hacks and Flax at marchcoms.com slash blog. You can also find our show on iTunes. Uh, subscribe, please, to get the latest episodes delivered straight to your device every time we come out. And of course, you can follow our show on Twitter and Instagram. The handle there is at HacksFlax. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Annie Vega. We'll be back real soon.